podcast one production. Context changes everything. And once you find yourself in a new context, you have to readjust no matter how confident you are. Anticipate setbacks. Confidence can be eroded very quickly if you don't get those setbacks in place. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. Have you ever felt really quite unstoppable, confident in your abilities and your future? Have you ever felt really finally sure about how good your performance is? It feels great. And the confidence, that calm, positive feeling can really aid our success. But what happens when it goes? What happens when you feel low and there's a crisis of confidence for external or internal factors? Today, Nick Adams, the Chief Marketing Officer at Allianz Insurance, is sharing with me his personal journey and the insights he gained around the crisis of confidence. Nick, thank you for coming today. What do you understand confidence to be and what's your experience of confidence? Margie, I think for me, it's a a real story around confidence is an expectation of a positive outcome. And when that doesn't happen, things really start to unravel and you can really lose your way. And I've certainly had some examples along my career that have really um, helped shape how I've addressed it, but I want to share the story of Allianz and um, where I came out of Telstra about two and a half years ago. And I had a lot of reason to be confident. I was Australian Direct Marketer of the Year. I'd won four times Global 100 Marketers um, in the Internationalist Magazine, two CEO awards from David Thody. Um, You know, I was well known in the industry and I was pretty cocky and I got some great results at Telstra. So that feeling when you tell that part, that feels like confidence when you felt unstoppable and you're telling me about those awards and everything. Did you feel unstoppable at that point? I did. I felt like I was on top of my game and I had seven years at Telstra and I'd achieved a lot and I'd Mm. learned a lot of great lessons about being an enterprise leader and getting things done at scale in a very large company. And I'd been really successful there and I don't mean that in the chest, but anyway, I'd achieved some great work and I came there's time to make a change and I moved across to Allianz. And I came from a company of 40,000 people at Telstra and I'd managed to get a lot, of done, lot done at scale and that was a $25 billion company. And then I moved to a company of 4,000 employees and it was a $5 billion company. So with all this confidence, I thought, how hard can that be? It's going to be 10 times easier going to a company that's that much smaller. In fact, it turned out to be probably 10 times harder um, than what I expected in terms of driving change. And a lot of that came probably from a lot of overconfidence from where I'd started and that, you know, I thought it'd be a doddle coming from a much larger company. But I have a saying that context changes everything and I found myself in a new context and I'd failed to anticipate that and then I really uh, lost my way um, over the course of the past couple of years in trying to find my way back. And the story basically was that I had inherited a team that needed a lot of change and I'd brought on a lot of change and a lot of positive change in the organisation, but it hadn't really stuck. And when I was at Telstra, I had teams that had employee engagement scores of 80, 85. We were quite a um, well-groomed machine. When I inherited my team at Allianz, we had an employee engagement score of 51. 
I thought, well, how hard can that be to turn that around? Starting off a low base. Starting so you, off a low yeah, base. And you're confident in your abilities. You were going to a smaller organisation. Step up in the role, but, Correct. you know, yeah. So so that's interesting. So the, the context doesn't feel dramatically different. It feels easier, really, sure. on paper. It did, and it looked that way. And so I, I certainly walked in and I think I was this overconfidence that I could spray on that can of magic that I'd done many times before and it would work. And, and sadly enough, it, it didn't. What happened? I really um, did anticip- anticipate the setbacks that I experienced. So employee engagement next year, despite working really hard on a new structure and getting things going, I actually was slipped down to 47. So for the first time in my life, I actually had gone backwards and I had the lowest scores in the company for employee engagement, which was quite a shock to me. And something about being under 50% that's really disheartening, mm, isn't it? It is. And mm. You go, I'm not a 50% kind of guy, I'm an 80% kind mm. of guy. So that really knocked me back. So trying to get that change, and no matter how hard I worked with all the old tactics and things I tried, I couldn't move it. And it took another year to lift it up to 66. Um, and even then, I've never worked harder on growing my team and capability and impact in the organisation, but we still weren't there. And it's probably taken me till now. We recently did an employee survey and we got it up to 88 Congratulations. I know, that was in the middle of COVID, which is a really good story, but it took two years of really hard work to, from losing my way to finding my way with my team and my feet to actually get to that result. How did you find your way with your team? It really was just leading from the front and I don't normally like to lead from the front. I normally like to lead from behind the team and push my people forward, but it really was a case of... Um, Every meeting, showing leading by example about what I wanted done, the type of culture I wanted to build, finding the right talent to actually help me get there. And I had some missteps on finding the right talent. So we had high turnover in the team for a while and that because I hired really fast and that new structure I put in. So the people weren't sticking, my culture wasn't sticking, and I just really, I really hit rock bottom in terms of was I doing the right thing. So is it okay if I ask, what does rock bottom look and feel like for you as a leader when all of that's going on? I, I really questioned myself and I wasn't myself in many, many ways. I, I can tell you the amount of times I dragged my briefcase down Amherst Street in Camaray and I'm just really de- despondent and a lot of blame. You know, like I, I was, my favourite phrase is reasonable reasons and I had lots of reasonable reasons about why I was where I was and it was everybody else's fault. Well, I've done more for employee engagement, I've done more for the structure and I've put this in, but the reality was I probably wasn't doing the right things to actually turn around. And so I I really hit the rock bottom and if I was watching TV with my partner, I wasn't quite present and I wasn't present at meetings and I wasn't my energetic lean forward self. I was just on autopilot relying on the machine to run itself rather than me leading the team. And what's the narrative in your head at that time? What's the What are you telling yourself? Because I know when you're confident, you tend to go, I can do this. This is awesome. Like, let's have a go. So what's the What's the opposite for you at that time with your lived experience? I've become very, in, not introverted, but very insular and very defensive in that conversation you have in your mind mm. uh, that, you know, they don't appreciate me here and if I've given everything I've got and if you, this is not good enough, then I don't know what else you guys can do for you guys. So I was quite defensive and internally lashing out at uh, the environment that I was in rather than perhaps trying to address some positive change that I could make to get through that. So I was in quite a funk for a while. How did you get out of that? How did you make the shift from the funk to 
persistence and discipline and keeping on going because it's not exciting getting out of a funk. It's no. really like let's it's like clawing yourself out from a muddy hole. You know, there's no ladder there to pull you out. No, there isn't. And there's a couple of things that I look back on, which one was very fortuitous. And one was that when I'd first started on the new team at Allianz and the journey I want to go on, I'd actually had made a presentation to the Allianz board and I actually said that the transition was probably going to take 18 months to get there from, you know, a foundational to a brilliant basics mindset before we could even think about moving to North Star. And I just, someone had pulled this deck out and said, remember, Nick, that you had said this was a longitudinal journey. It wasn't something that was going to happen overnight. And I think there's always a lot of tension, particularly here, the average tenure of a CMO is 18 months or 23 months, right? It's not very long. I was putting pressure on myself because I had this track record of success and the success wasn't coming. So it took someone just to reorient me to the original plan that I had fortuitously put together and said, sustainable change takes a long time to do that. And so I was able to reflect on that. My HR business partner, um, she pulled me aside and said, what's wrong with you? You're not yourself. And I started to talk to her and open up as well. And um, it was a very, just a very authentic sort of reach out and um, I really responded to that and then I started to build my way out of that. The last one is my partner's always been my biggest cheer squad, Tracy, and she has always been in my corner and um, helped me just reframe and think about things positively. So with looking at the plan, my HR business partner and my, my partner in life, Tracy, I was able to reorient and I think come out of it. And now I look at my plan and the things that come into fruition, I go, I wish I'd stayed the course and not lost my confidence. Mm, but you seem to have learned a lot through that passage of losing your confidence and mm. coming out the other side. What would you say some of those key lessons are? I've got a lot of um, life lessons in resilience um, that I've had along the way. And the first one was when I was around 38, I was a CMO at Westpac uh, for a very short time. And at 38, I'd have told you I was ready to be the CMO of the world. I, I, you know, I knew everything there was to know about marketing and I was the man. But when you're 38 and you're around the leadership table of a large Australian bank and you haven't had enough life experience, even though I thought I was ready, there's a lot of sharp elbows and it, it's a big table and I wasn't ready. And then what happened in parallel to that, I was getting divorced and I got very depressed and I was lost and I got made redundant out of that because I wasn't on my game. I had a blind spot. I had two blind spots. I had my divorce going on and then losing that. So I, was, uh, I really took a lot of lessons out of that and I was actually very blessed that Mark Buckman offered me a role at Telstra and I was always very appreciative and we formed a great relationship there. But I, I drew on that to really um, build that next phase of my career. So there was one good life lesson there. The other one was I was in 2015 involved in a fatal accident Um where someone died um, due to a pedestrian accident. It was, and I hit the bottom again, um, and I had, was quite distressed by that. And it's another example where I went to work on autopilot, and I was just sitting there zoned out, and I wasn't myself. But I was blessed in that situation where I had a really good leadership team who carried me, and um, we just had each other's back, and they could tell I wasn't present, and I wasn't, again, my exuberant self, and they really gave me that support to help me come out the other side. I also had work colleagues who actually just became good friends and were there for me and still to this day are in my corner um, and checked in on me and, and got me through that. So having a support network was quite critical. So when I get to a situation like Allianz, I can draw on the you know, the mistakes I made at 
Westpac, um, the life experience of that accident, which has been life-changing for me. And I have perhaps a deeper perspective on life and um, empathy for where people are at. So if I do see someone who's losing confidence at work, I'll often just walk a mile in their shoes and say, what's happening at home? Is everything okay? And just try to look through them as the employee into their personal life to see if we can't draw them back in and help them get back in the saddle. And it's tough to have those life lessons, but I think it's maybe a much more empathetic and hopefully a more caring leader. And I have a more holistic output on leadership than I ever have had before. You mentioned resilience, and 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 I just want to say thank you for sharing those those traumatic stories mm. of that you've experienced. But what is inner resilience? What do you see that as being? I'm always wondering whether it's possible to have inner resilience in every moment. Do you think it's something we build up? What is it for you, inner resilience? I've reflected on resilience quite a lot over the past few years, and it's a word I use and. I'd like to think I'm blessed with resilience. I can't put my finger on how you find resilience. With some of the instances I've had, I could have become an alcoholic. I could have become on drugs. I could have given up and said I've had enough in life. I've been dealt enough blows. I don't know what the X factor is that says, Nick, you're going to make it. Some other people might be as fortunate to make it. And so I've reflected on it quite a lot. But I think when you're in that fog of worry and anxiety about, it's not going right. I'm not sure how to get out of it. My advice is that with the right support and the right network, you can pull out of it, but it won't happen overnight. It could take two or three months and gradual steps to get there, but there is another side and you can build off the back of it. You said earlier about expectations and we mm. talked at the beginning of the podcast about um, expectations and, mm. and what they might be. And you talked about coming from Telstra with massive expectations of how successful you mm. would be. And I wonder sometimes when people are, have a crisis of confidence that they expect confidence just to switch back on. And yes. what I'm hearing from you and from my own experience, I know it's a slow build. It very much is. And when you don't anticipate setbacks, which I didn't anticipate any setbacks and I thought I'd be playing sailing, that's when the things really come off the rails and you can really start to struggle to respond. So I, I definitely agree with that. Mm. So I'm keen to understand what overconfidence looks and feels like as well. We've talked about the crisis of confidence. Yeah. But that has to come only when we've felt confident or overconfident. What's your experience of being overconfident? And what are you warning for us all about that? I think one of the great examples uh, I learned was probably back in 2011 when I did join Telstra to work for Mark Buckman. And again, I came in top of my game in terms of Australian Direct Marketer of the Year and I was well-respected in my space. And I just come off my um, divorce. I had all the time in the world to work. So I worked weekends. I worked nights and I built this great team up. And over the course of a year, I built this great CRM team up um, at Telstra and we got great results. And I really polished the team up. And just like I expected to do at Allianz, but the, the, the spray on magic worked and we were humming and absolutely going. So when I looked back at the course of what I'd achieved in the year, it was a great body of work and we had really... Um, Put the CRM program on the map. So my CMO at the time with Mark, um, I come for my year-end review and I waltzed into his office and I sort of did the pistols, went, 
that looks like a five to me. Pretty good year, <laughs> hey? And I was really confident. He sit there and goes, Paul, Nick, thanks for that. That was a great foundation year. And I went, foundation year? If this was in any other company in Australia, this would be amazing. This would be a, you know, you'll be absolutely hailed across the country. You'll tell me a foundation year. And he, I got a foundation year result. I got a three or something like that. So it was, and I was quite dismayed at that. And I wanted to reach across the table and strangle him. And I threw my toys out of the cot for two weeks. I huffed around. And again, if you can't appreciate that, I'll take it somewhere else. And I'm not respected here. And don't you know what good looks like? I was quite belligerent for a couple of weeks. But I remember his advice at the end of that meeting. He said, Nick, when you're an enterprise leader, and you're, you're being felt across the country, you're not just fixing your own team up, but you're actually leading across 40,000 people, that's when you can come in here and be that type of confident leader. So I said, right, you want to see enterprise leader? And that led me into the next phase of my career at Telstra because I understood then fixing your own team up and having a great little story is neat. And the same at Allianz. I could go and fix my own team up, but I need to be an enterprise leader to really have my impact felt. And so I went on at Telstra to do some really big things across 40,000 people and get some great results. But I learned a great life lesson there. It's analogous to what I'm seeing at Allianz now because things didn't go so well with my team and trying to get that. My eyes were down and trying to fix the team up rather than me being an enterprise leader and work across the organisation because I was distracted at my home base. Now I've got a good team in place. I can now think about being an enterprise leader and working more effectively with my peers supporting the CEO better and being that C-level executive I always aspired to that I haven't really hit on in the past two years. And Nick, I'm an executive coach who always talks about reflection and lessons mm. that people are learning on their leadership journey, that there is no such thing as a perfect leader. There are only imperfect leaders mm. and those that learn from all of the experiences and then can share them. So it's really heartening to hear you so articulately express the stories and the lessons. Have we got any lessons, any more insights for people around this confidence, underconfidence, crisis of confidence issue? Any tips for anybody? For me, I often say to my team and the one I hold true is context changes everything. And once you find yourself in a new context, you have to readjust no matter how confident, confident you are. And I have certainly learned that. And the second one I'd say is anticipate setbacks. Confidence can be eroded very quickly if you don't get those setbacks in place. And if you do, in my third example of what I'd say is some good advice is you have a good support network when it does go wrong. Your HR business partner if you're in a large organisation, your life partner or a good friend who can sit down and give you a different perspective when you do hit rock bottom, it's very hard to get out of those funks by yourself and you really do need a good support network. Nick Adams, thank you so much for your time, your honesty, and I'm really grateful for the insights you've been able to provide today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.